Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Empire. Are you ready to take control of a live basketball game? Allowing our fans to hear from the folks on the field yes. in real time in a way that helps them making their decisions. Um, and I think basketball, certainly, you know, the lack of a helmet and getting hit and all that stuff certainly lends itself a little better to being mic'd up in real time, having a camera uh, on the player directly. That's Grant Cohen, CMO of the fan-controlled sports and entertainment, where expanding the social and interactive live sports model is happening. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Fan-controlled football league was able to secure some big names like Johnny Manziel to play in some of their games. They also learned a great deal about what fans can and shouldn't control and now are expanding into basketball. Our guest this week is Grant Cohen. He's the chief marketing officer of fan-controlled sports and entertainment, and they're going to be launching the fan-controlled hoops league, which will be occurring in early 2023 off of the last couple of seasons where they had the fan-controlled football league. Hey, Grant, how are you? Nice to talk to you. Hey, Bram. Thanks for having me. Uh, Excited to be here. Okay. So uh, tell me a little bit bit why you all decided to go from football to basketball. Oh, man. Great question. Uh, There's there's a few reasons. Uh, um, One, I think we're we are all big sports fans, and certainly football and basketball are probably the two that as a, as a kind of leadership team, we're our most, uh, we are just personally the biggest fans of. And I think a big part of what we're building here really requires that fan passion. I mean, the, the entire point of this is uh, we believe that uh, sports are more fun when the fans are more involved. So being able to, to build on a sport that we are also passionate about, I think is, is one key thing. The second is the audience. Uh, basketball, professional, and even collegiate basketball in the U.S. has obviously become uh, second most uh, uh, watched, if you will, sport, and uh, <clears throat> and certainly resonates with an audience that I think matches our demographic, which tends to skew a bit younger than the other traditional sports leagues, uh, more interactive, more digitally savvy. And the other thing that's really interesting to me about the two other things I think are really interesting to me about basketball, one is uh, the international appeal. So with football, we've done a great job building a pretty sizable viewership and audience, but the overwhelming majority of that audience is in the U.S., right? My Niners are playing in Mexico City this weekend, and it's cool to see the NFL expanding a little bit internationally. But realistically, American football is American football for a reason because it's really only popular in America. So I think uh, what's really great about basketball, it is truly a global sport. Uh, There is really no corner of the earth that uh, there aren't basketball fans. Uh, And so for us, it's a really interesting opportunity to test the waters of international distribution, international fandom uh, because our we're so we're far less focused on local fans with our business model and much more focused on the digital online streaming TV viewing audiences 
Uh, and obviously that can, that can be anyone around the world at any time. Uh, so I think those, those things all came together to kind of make basketball the, the obvious next choice. Uh, not, hopefully not the last choice. We're certainly intending our, our company's called Fan Controlled Sports Entertainment. So certainly we have grand plans to be in lots of sports long-term, but it's, it's sort of what drove us to basketball as the next logical step. Don't sell football short yet. I saw a lot of German people singing John Denver at a football game. So I think yeah. it's possible, <laughs> right? It's possible. Um, all right. Uh, let's talk about I, the f- I, I, I'm, I, I think it is too. It's funny. I, we actually think it is too. I, especially Germany. Um, we, we actually had, we, so before we ever launched our own football league, we actually bought an arena football team in Salt Lake City, Utah, of all places. Uh-huh. Uh, it was an expansion team in the IFL. And we let the fans call the plays. Um, and it worked really well, and that was what sort of was our proof of concept and learning to enable us to, to then go out and uh, build our, our own league. And when we did that team, um, we actually did have an odd, like there were a few markets that we had like oddly big viewership. And now keep in mind, this is a you know, minor league football team in Salt Lake City. So it wasn't, it wasn't like we were murdering the viewership numbers, but it did pretty well. I mean, it did much better than everybody else in that league. And Germany was a market that we did oddly well and so huh. well that we actually did a partnership with Prozeben, I think is how you pronounce it, and they actually did stream a couple of our games, and we considered doing a German tryout. So I, I think you're right. There's something about Germany and American football that might be coming together. There might be. Uh, we had so Rob Ferruti, who's the, the CEO of Fan Controlled Sports Entertainment, on before the launch of the football version of this, the Fan Controlled Football League, and I remember like listening to him. And hearing him out and going, this is a really cool concept. Are they really going to pull this off? Um, what did you learn over the first couple of years in doing this with football? I'm, I still am not sure we're going to pull it off, even though we have, because it is a very crazy idea, and the execution is certainly a, a, you know, a tightrope to walk. Um, I'd say there's a bunch of things that have been interesting learnings um, uh, around all sorts of different stuff. So if you Think about it from a kind of my, my role, a uh, marketing and growth perspective. I think we've gotten really good at understanding how to work with our distribution partners, Twitch, The Zone, NBC, LX, et cetera, uh, on maximizing distribution and viewership. Um, you know, we went from averaging uh, just around a million viewers, a million live views per, uh, per game day our first season to over 2 million this last season. Uh, and I think that was a lot of tied into what we learned and how to operate and promotion distribution, how to bring our fans back retention wise, um, which is key, right? Like if you're building a business, learning those things, how to keep fans engaged coming back is, is really challenge is really an important thing to do. Um, I think we certainly learned a lot about what things our fans are interested in. Uh, we, we are probably best known or people immediately latch on to the real time play calling aspect that we've done. And certainly from a technology perspective, that's you know, the heaviest lift to build and execute. Um, and it's, it's worked extremely well, like literally for now two straight seasons, Every single offensive play has been called by the fans. Now, sometimes the quarterback's audible and run different things, just like they do with an actual offensive coordinator in a football game. Uh, but the fans have actually called all the plays, which we're pretty proud of the technology having stood through all that. So it's been fascinating to see the other things that our fans are super interested in. Um, player selection, player personnel, drafting, and, and choosing the players in their team has become a, a very important one. Um, their fans' ability to overturn or overrule what a rep decision is something that we get a huge amount of, of fan interest in. Yeah, it's probably not too surprising. Uh, and, and I mean, it makes sense, right? Like I you know, was just reading an article earlier about the, that amazing Vikings Bills game uh, from last week. And it turned out like I'm like a critical, a first that the Vikings at one point had a first and goal from the two and 
Uh, Dalvin Cook, who's an owner in our league, he owns, they actually, actually, his team won the championship this last year. He's an owner of the Zappers. Um, he got stuck for like a three-yard loss. And it turned out when they reviewed the tape that, and then they ended up, there was a sack and incompletion. They ended up kicking a field goal. And then that gave the, that meant they didn't win the game, right? It was an overtime. It gave the Bills a chance to tie and, uh, uh, Vikings ended up holding on. But, um, there were 12 guys in the field, the defense on that play. And I saw the offensive coordinator say, well, you know, I haven't, haven't designed a play yet that works to get a first down when they're playing 11 on 12. And so that sort of thing that like the fans, I can't even imagine, you know, if they had lost, how livid the fans in Minnesota would have been with the refs for having missed that. So I think being able to give fans the power to, um, uh, to be engaged on those fronts is certainly a, a different thing than you see in any other sports league and something that we've seen a lot of success with. I'd like to wish you a lot of luck hiring referees for a basketball game when the fans are going to complain literally about every call on every possession. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, so it's funny you say that. So um, I don't want to disparage referees because they do have a very tough job. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, my, my frustration with referees in football has been, I don't think they explain, especially our league, we got kind of a lot of crazy rules and stuff going on. I think they like, they're too robotic and I think it's, it's not their fault. It's how they've all been trained, right? So of course their career, they're not supposed to be the center point of the game, blah, blah. But, and I don't, certainly don't want them to be, but with us, like, I want them to explain stuff like the idea that the idea that uh, think about if you were in a bar with your buddy and you're watching a football game, your buddy gets up and he goes to the bathroom and he comes back. And on that play, there had been a you know deep throw down the sideline where the defender hadn't turned his head back. He tackled the guy early and there'd been a pass interference. Imagine your buddy sits down next to you and he says, Oh, what happened? Would you look at him and say that? Oh, deep throw down the left, pass interference guy grabbed him early. Or would you say pass interference? 45 on the defense, 15-yard penalty, first down. You would you would say that. You'd talk to him like a normal person. So why don't refs talk like normal people? It makes no <laughs> logical sense why they don't explain. Like, really think about it. Why do they not explain things correctly? Why do they talk in this weird, broken language that uh, doesn't really tell you exactly what happened? You, wanna, know, uh, you want me to answer that question? I'll answer that question for you if you want to know the reason. Because they, because they cannot come off as biased whatsoever. So if they... If they say something that seems like it's normal English to you, it will come off as they are partial to somebody. That's why. Yeah, that's that's a weak. That's, that's fine. I get that in traditional sports. If people want to be scared of that sort of thing, not right. in our world, not in my land, right, right, not, right. not in real, true, normal sports land. Right. That's not what we're building. Uh, and so for us, I've been I've done everything I could to try and convince our refs to do that. Talk like that. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of times we've done practice games and okay, what would you say in this situation? Blah blah. And then when the lights come on, they never do it. They just refuse. I don't. I, I think it's. You know, I, I understand the reasoning on the bias. Their traditional training. They're not supposed to focal point of the game. Like there's a lot of reasons why, um, but they just. I just couldn't get them to do it. So last year, um, one of our owners uh, is Quavo from the Migos, um, and he was doing a celebrity uh, charity game uh, in our venue. He um, he has an elite seven on seven uh, youth team, uh, and they were going to play. Cam Newton's elite seven-on-seven youth team. Quavo and Cam were each going to coach the, the games. Um, and then they were uh, afterwards, there was going to be an adult seven-on-seven that featured a lot of NFL players, Tyreek Hill and uh, Jameis Winston and you know, a bunch of guys and some other you know, musicians, entertainers, et cetera. And so we did the, uh, the first game, the, the youth game, and they were supposed to bring their own refs. The refs like, got like, a car accident or something on the way and couldn't make it. So our refs stepped in and did it. Now, I was planning on refing the All-Star, the celebrity game. 
like I've gotten like my own ref shirt made and everything. My whole plan was I, this was it. This was my moment where I was going to show our refs how you really are supposed to call a game. I was going to do the voiceover the right way, blah, blah. I was like, this is it. I'm fed up. I'm going to do it myself if I have to. And they go out and do a seven-on-seven game. And I guess the rules for, like, youth seven-on-seven are different than, you know, normal professionals. Um, and our refs, you know, well, they weren't supposed to do it. And, and their defense was not their job to do this. They just stepped in the pinch they needed to. Didn't know the rules. And I guess they must have called some. I still don't understand what the call was. They called something that wasn't – that Cam Newton didn't think was accurate and it caused <laughs> his team to lose. And he, he went nuts, just <laughs> went nuts on them yeah. and stormed out of the building, did left before the celebrity game. He was so mad. And I looked, out, I looked at, at Sora, my co-founder, the two of us are going to be the refs. We had like literally had the jerseys in our hands about to go out. And we're like, yeah, no, we're good. I'm good on that. I do not need Tyree Kill screaming at me. James Winston spiking yeah. a ball. I'm, like, oh, I'm not good. Let, let those other guys do it. So even though I say those things about it, I myself do not have the cojones to actually do it. So well, I, mean, uh, I, I can't judge too much. I mean, listen, in the, listen, WWE did this forever where they, they brought in the, the referees as part of the act. And they allowed yes. them, you know, they, they obviously they built them into the, the show. I don't think that's what you're doing here, right? I mean, I get what you're saying, that you want to up the entertainment value, you want people to talk, but you are putting on legitimate contests here, like, right? So, like, well, that... Well, that's, that's, that's exactly right, of course, yes. And we, we are, uh, I mean, you know, the seven on, you know, the celebrity game aside, the most, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, rest yeah. of our, our real football league and what we do uh, certainly is, you know, I am not qualified to be a ref, and that's why I would never even try there, because yeah, yeah. it is legitimate referees making real decisions, and the fan involvement is simply... The same way that you would have a, a, a you know, a, a replay review, um, it's just allowing the fans to vote on that replay review is really yeah. the only difference. But yeah, no, we're we're still certainly operating, running a legitimate football league. Uh, but I think that you can do both. Like I think there's room. The, the same way I would say that uh, with our players, no one's going to get fined for dancing and celebrating after a score in our league. We like it. Yeah, yeah. Like bring on the entertainment factor. You can do that. You can you can do that without it actually tarnishing the game. And I think the same thing uh, from uh, a ref perspective. And so too clearly do our fans. You asked them. This, this conversation started about feedback. That is certainly a significant point of feedback from our fans. This episode is brought to you by Chalk and Dog, which brings together the vast experience and expertise of two of the brightest agencies in media, sports, wagering, and gaming. With deep roots in the UK and the US, the agency offers expert guidance in everything from market entry to market expansion for startups as well as established global brands powered by best-in-class communication and creative experts. Chalk and Dog has vast international experience and delivers results-oriented, tailor-made solutions for B2B and B2C organizations. Take me through um, how you guys thought through the actual engagement of fans in calling plays because clearly there's not enough time or bandwidth to put Sean McVay's playbook in front of everybody to choose something. And at the same time, it's not going to be that fun if your choices are run or pass. So how did you kind of think through that part of the engagement model that would be something that people would want to take part in over and over? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. I think um, I would say that our football staff, our football ops staff and coaches have done a phenomenal job striking that balance uh, between um, a too complex of a system and something that's very fan-friendly. We do a lot of things like the actual names of the play calls that are installed in the playbook and that the coaches and, and players say to each other on the field, 
It's actually different than the plays as they show up in the app. Uh, we have a translation layer between it, so we can make it clear, right? So, a, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, like a a a a, 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 a in-game uh, play may be you know, double Z X wide hot five or whatever, right? Yeah. Instead of that, we're going to say trips right deep posts, right? Like we're going to like make it clear to people what a little easier to people what it is, or we're going to make fun names. Like I think our most popular play call last season was Sex Panther. Uh, uh, which I don't even know where the original name came from, uh, but we make it a bit more fun for the fans. That's one. Number two, I think, is the visualization. You know, uh, I, our fans, our demographic of fans, uh, have been calling plays in Madden in a matter of seconds before each play call uh, for many, many years. Um, so to them, it actually doesn't look like, and that's what our our interface looks a lot like. So it's not that crazy experience. Um, and then the last piece I'd say is the underlying technology. So uh, it's very data-driven. Um, uh, before even our first season, we worked with IBM Watson to break down a ton of data from our arena football time. And then certainly once we've launched our, now we have a you know two full seasons where the data has only gotten better, which is the ability for our underlying algorithm to choose the six best plays for any down-distance uh, in-game situation. So we, we kind of arm the fans that they, you know, you're never, you never have a bad choice. Right, you may have the least good choice, but you never have a bad choice to make uh, in in any given situation. Sex Panther is the cologne that is worn in Anchorman that sixty yeah. percent of the time works every time. Come yeah, on, there Grant. You there you go. There it is. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. Um, let's talk about basketball. You guys are going to do four on four. How did you land on four on four? Why is that the format that you want? I, good question. I mostly just came from kind of testing a few different models. Um, you know, we are very cost conscious from an efficiency standpoint. You know, if you look at um, other sports leagues, the, the vast majority of other spring football or alternative sports leagues that have come and, and gone, uh, many of which after one season, it's typically not because they can't drive viewership or make money. It's because their cost basis is too high. So we kind of look at every angle for our business to say, how do we minimize cost? And having 20% less players across the league, it's actually pretty good cost savings, right? Um, and it's uh, uh, as opposed to five on five, uh, but yet you still get visually as a fan, the full feeling of watching a full court game, the way you don't really necessarily in three on three or less. So that was one driving part of it. Uh, the second piece is the court we're building and the size of the space that we're in um, is what I would, what I call like a LA fitness or a high school court, uh-huh. you can play five on five on it. But as you get to, you know, really big elite athletes, I think it actually just works better uh, from a spacing perspective uh, with uh, one less guy on there. But yet again, you're still getting the fun and the excitement of full court basketball. Okay. Um, okay. So we talked a little bit about how you guys came around to what plays would be available for fans. This is a very different sport in that way. And I could see and envision because you're open to you want the players to interact, you want the referees to interact, you want you want full engagement, and l- let's let's you know pull the curtain up. Um, man, do I want to hear players demanding the fans call the ball go to them? That's what I want to hear in basketball. Yeah, I, I think um, that that's one of the areas, interestingly, that we've talked a lot about that I think is a bit of a learning for us is how do we um, do a better job. You know, I, I talked about some of the things that we've done well, but there's things that we certainly haven't done as well. And one of them is how do we do a better job of during the game, allowing our fans to hear from the folks on the field yes. in real time in a way that helps them making their decisions. Um, and I think 
basketball, certainly, you know, the lack of a helmet and getting hit and all that stuff certainly lends itself a little better to being mic'd up in real time, having a camera uh, on the player directly. Uh, and so certainly you'll see a bit more of that with us this season. And then from a decisioning standpoint with, uh, with hoops, because you're not calling plays, I mean, yeah, there's certainly, you know, we call ATO situations um, that uh, fans could be involved in picking a certain play on, but that just does a few and far between throughout the course of a game. Uh, instead, we're really gamifying the substitutions uh, and point scoring system, yeah. whereby fans will be able to um, make much more frequent substitution decisions about who they're putting in and then choosing what we call lit zones uh, to uh, basically enable their team with a combination of who's in uh, to score more points from certain areas. So we call it calling the shots, right? Yes. Their, their ability to basically call where they want their team shooting from. Now it doesn't require it, right? And certainly defenses will react and it'll change out the strategy. And, that, and, that's, and that's part of the strategy, right? It's figuring out what mix of players, what mix of lit zones against what defenses is actually most effective for your team. Um, but they're, they're basically the levers that the fans have the ability to pull to call the shots. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's very cool. Tell me a little bit more about the court and the technology behind it and what you're trying to build and show to fans. It's really cool. Like I'm I'm certainly out of the uh, founders here the one who's least prone to being uh high on hyperbole and uh tooting our own horn. Um but uh this is one that like when you see it I I got a chance to see um just a small version of it in real life uh this week in Atlanta and it's it's really, really fucking neat in real life. Like it feels like a video game for real life in a, in a pretty awesome way. Um, so the court itself is uh, LED technology. Think about it kind of like a, a, a jumbotron on the ground, if you will. Yeah. Uh, that uh, that feels a lot like an actual hardwood playing surface. So it falls, dribble, bounce. You can jump, gets wet, and you can mop it off very easily. And it like what I really like about it is you can even hear the squeak. Like you know, like when you're in a basketball gym, you just like that still resonates through. So it still feels very much like a basketball court, but it is a just basically a giant TV screen that we can control uh, what visually happens in the screen. So that really awesome stuff we can do uh, that, that makes it feel like it's a, you know, your NBA 2K or NBA Jam for real life. It's really cool. Um, you mentioned the size of the space you're playing in. Will fans attend the games? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, the first, our first season of football, <clears throat> it was pre-vaccine and we're still in the throes of Corona. So we played yeah. in what we called a bubble, um, which meant there were no fans in the building. We had our, ourselves, some VIPs, celebrities, et cetera. You had to undergo, everyone, everyone who came in had to undergo testing. Um, our, this last season we played the spring. Obviously the world was much more open. We were able to uh, have fans of all shapes and sizes uh, come out. And it was, it was, as the kids say, it's a, it's a vibe. Uh, it was quite, quite a cool thing. The, the venue that we play in is a really unique space at Pratt Pullman Yard in Kirkwood, uh, just uh, east of downtown Atlanta in a very kind of hip, up-and-coming neighborhood. And the venue itself, Pratt Pullman Yard, used to be an old train depot, train warehouse. So it's these really cool, old, kind of abandoned but restored brick buildings that were these big train factories from like the early 1900s. Yeah. And we were able to sort of readapt that, build out our own space around it um, to, to really become a studio. <clears throat> which is really how we operate, right? So this is very much a, a studio environment. So it's designed for production, shooting, et cetera. It's not really designed for a huge audience. So our audience is like what you consider a studio audience, 500 to 1,000 people in the building. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a it's a really good time. It's a lot of fun. And the way in which we put it together from a viewing perspective with football 
you're you're always right on the edge of the action, which is really exciting. So like even our luxury suites, you know, I, we looked at it and said, all right, when you go to a football game, what's the best seat in house? Usually the 50 yard line luxury suite. What's at a basketball game? What's the best seat in house? The floor seats. So we basically built our venue so that the luxury suites, which make up a, a big chunk of what's the what the scope of seating is there, um, are on the 50. There's we combine the two, right? They're like courtside suites, um, uh, which is pretty awesome. For football, uh, it's certainly very unique for football because you never get that close to the action to football, uh, and we'll be replicating that for basketball in the same venue. Um, you mentioned vibe. I'm, I'm curious if you've thought about game flow. Is this going to feel like a NBA game? Is this going to feel like N1? Is this going to feel like Rucker Park? Like what kind of game are we going to be watching when they play? Yeah, good question. I, I, I think it's going to be more. I mean, <laughs> we'll see when we get out there. Um, but I think the idea behind it is certainly more NBA than the others. I mean, there will be a street ball element. I think, you know, one of the things that I didn't mention earlier that I, I, you asked about why basketball, that we really like about basketball is accessibility. Um, you know, our, our football league, there are very hum, few human beings on the planet who can step foot on our football, in our football league, right? Like, not, none of the three of us would make it two plays in that league without having to exit the game and likely go to the hospital. Um, basketball, all, th- all of us here could, could easily be uh, uh, could play in the league. Now, we might get smoked. might be embarrassing. Or, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, yeah might, if you don't mind being thoroughly embarrassed, you could play in this league, sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, yeah. you, but you, that's exactly yeah. right. So, so I think that the accessibility there and what that means in terms of who can play in our league yeah. um, uh, is really interesting. That in and of itself may adapt the game flow a little bit. Um, so like I said, having a little bit of a street ball uh, edge to it. Um, it also means we can have, you know, I, I can say I don't care man, woman, trans, undefined, tall, short, fat, skinny, black, brown, white, purple, pink. I don't give a shit what you look like and who you are. If you can hoop, you can come play in our league. Um, and so I think it, it lends itself to uh, some of that interesting stuff. And that, that may and in, in, in eventually impacting game flow. But overall, I think it'll look and feel like a, call it an NBA 2K game more than an NBA yeah. game. All right. Uh, let me leave you with this. I'm just going to ask you a broad question because you guys are doing something so innovative and interactive with fans. And clearly, you know, you guys know this league is not going to overtake the NBA one day or overtake the NFL one day. But um, what you're doing. Hey, could... hey Bram. <laughs> All right. Bram, never say never. All right. I'll never day, say never. One day is a, a very, a very long time from now. Uh, I, but right. Yeah, you're, but in, you're in right. the, in the honestly, same. Honestly, I. I tell people I'm not even trying to compete with them, right? Like our, right. our that's not our competition. My competition is Fortnite and Call of Duty and what other things males 18 to 35 are doing to, you know, spend their time. Yeah, that's sports or otherwise. But under that realm, respectfully, respectfully, under that idea, you are doing a lot of things that I could see some of these traditional leagues looking at and when wanting to innovate with. So when I just say, what does the future of sports look like? What comes to mind to you? Um, I think the future of sports is far more interactive. I, I would agree with you that there are things we do that um, fan involvement with uh, and and rules and gameplay and broadcast and stuff uh, certainly will be uh, mimicked uh, by other leagues. Um, I mean, not will be. It already has been <laughs> mimicked by other leagues, um, and I'm certain will continue to be. Uh, but I think that um, – I think probably the, the level that we take it to staying on the forefront of innovation – uh, I'm hopeful that we'll we are we're doing something a bit further than what I think anybody else would, and I think a big part of that is the ownership structure, right? All the traditional leagues have thirty or whatever number of owners of each of the teams that I'm having to debate and deal with. Um, I can tell you from our own experience in a, a minor league sports or 
you had different owners, it becomes far more of a challenge to push real innovation um, when there's that many different parties at the table that all have differing opinions and, and you know, differing outcomes for each of them. Uh, whereas us operating as a single entity model gives us far more control to be able to be innovative and embrace the, uh, all the things that our fans want to do. And that's, that's really the reality. But everything we're doing, our fans are the ones telling us they want it done, right? Like we let them vote and decide on everything. Uh, every key rule change, every key interaction, everything we do within the business um, or in the sports side of it. So uh, this is what the fans want. It's only a matter of time until it gets adopted across the board. Greg Cohen is the CMO of Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great. On the next Future Sport Podcast, gamification of exercise continues to find new homes. Digital media, digital content was kind of revolutionizing a lot of different consumer activities and fitness was clearly one of them. Um, and so that got my mind going, you know, myself and my co-founders were not big fitness class people. So yeah. there was clearly an opportunity to kind of innovate from the content perspective. So that's where it came from a personal experience. That's Tom Allett, CEO and co-founder of Ergata, which is challenging users to compete while getting their workouts in. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.